Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone, and welcome back into the Moment of Cluth podcast. I hope you all are staying safe out there. So sports are finally back, but hitting some speed bumps with their restarts. I talk about it all with my guest this week, Lawrence Holmes, who is a TV and radio personality in Chicago, covering all things Chicago sports. On this episode, we talk about the NFL beginning camp this week, what the lack of a preseason means for the Bears, and how he got his start in the broadcast world at just the age of 19. Thank you so much for coming on my show. I know you're a busy man. Oh, anything for you. What's up? How Why you doing? You your podcast. Why? Because you are the man in the know. I know you just got off of your own show on 670 uh, talking about baseball and football and, you know, just wanted to get your take on a couple of things now that sports are back. Okay. And also, the point of this podcast is for the listeners to get to know you better. Um, so I will be asking you some personal questions. But All right. Well, I mean, I just recorded a podcast about my colonoscopy last week, so it doesn't get more personal than that. You want to start off the top of the show talking about your colonoscopy? I mean, I was trying to explain the good and the bad of it and why people should get theirs. <laughs> That's why. I mean, I had mine last week. I have I have Crohn's disease, so I go get one every year. And it, it always, like, I'm filled with anxiety and dread, like, leading up to it because it's a cancer screening. So that it's scary, you know, it, it, it's a scary thing. And then all of the, the things you have to do to get ready for a colonoscopy are a little scary. Um, I'll spare, spare the <laughs> listeners of your podcast, like all the gory details, but I will tell you that the one positive of it, and this is what I talked about in the podcast is that I've never done drugs and I barely drink, but to do the colonoscopy, they have to kind of drug you. And it is quite the experience. Like it is trippy. Like it is, you lose time because you'll be there and you'll be talking to your doctor and they hit you with it. And then you're like, Oh, so when are we going to start? And they're like, Oh yeah, that was over 45 minutes ago. <laughs> like that's, it's crazy. It's so crazy. It happens every time. And every time I get it, I think I'm going to sit here and enjoy like these moments of bliss and then you wake up in the recovery room and you're like, what just happened? And they're they like, pulled the rug like out some... from underneath you. Yeah. They're like, would you like some Lorna Dunes and apple juice? Yes, I would. I would very much like some Lorna Dunes and apple juice. Um, how were your results? Did they come back? Okay. Yeah. They came back negative, which is the most important thing. So that's, that's great. And then you, know, you spend like two days basically not eating. And then they're like, eat whatever you want when you get home. And I ate whatever I wanted. When I what got was home. your first meal? I had breakfast. Like I had, cause I always get mine done early. So I had some pancakes and went to sleep for like three and a half hours. It was delightful. I don't blame you. That actually sounds like, you know, when you get your wisdom teeth out, Did you, have mm -hmm. you gotten your wisdom teeth out? Oh yeah. Oh, I spilled my guts to everybody in the room when they put me under. Yeah. I was, I don't know if I was lucky or unlucky. The dentist that I had that he gave me like a local, and then he pulled out a wrench and was like, rent, 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 rent. and it, I didn't feel bad, but I didn't get that. I wish I would have gotten that 
because that would have been fun. But yeah, that's where they make all the funny videos on people. Yeah, I'm waiting for a funny video to show up of you uh, after your colonoscopy last week. I'll stand by for that. <laughs> It'll be good. I don't think my brother took one, but who knows? He may have. He may have on the drive home just put the, <laughs> the phone on and said, this dude is telling a lot of jokes right now about life. So you're obviously a very busy man. You're on 670 Score. You're on NBC Sports Chicago. What has work been like without any sports to talk about? Okay, so initially I was apprehensive about working from home. I've always been, this is something that's starting to grow in the radio industry anyway. There's not really that big of a need for a physical plant to do radio shows. If you look at people who do national radio shows like NFL Network on Sirius XM, for example, there's no studio people are all over the country and they're connecting with their, their codex devices, codec devices and doing it from home. I've always felt like I need to be in the studio to do the radio show. And I didn't know how I would adjust to being at home. I adjusted better than I expected. It's not the same, but it's pretty similar. And there's a, a couple of things along the way, like you figure out, like I had to get myself a little desk mm -hmm. because my router is in the basement and I need to be you know, hardwired into the router for the radio show to sound good. So I need, I'm sitting on my couch. So I needed a little like breakfast in bed type desk to take with me. So once I got that, I felt like it was good, but overall I've enjoyed the experience way more than I thought. I thought it was going to be laborious and I thought it was going to be really difficult. There's a couple technical snafus here and there, but overall I've enjoyed it. I enjoy it too. I kind of hope it stays this way. Obviously I hope that COVID goes away, but I also really enjoy hanging out with my dog all day. Well, I, I think that there's some value in this and I haven't done enough studies on it. I haven't read enough studies on it. I actually think that there's been a productivity uptick in people who have been working from home that maybe wouldn't have been there if we all weren't forced to work at home. And, and obviously I'm talking about the people that can, that have the ability and the privilege to work from home. But I've been more productive than I ever thought was going to be possible at home. And there's, there's a level of de-stressing. My commute is nothing. Like I live close to the studio and that's on purpose. But even what is often a 15 minute commute, depending on the day, can turn into 30 minutes and it can be frustrating or mm -hmm. a parking lot that's full and you're circling a parking lot like all day. Those things go out the window, you know? And, and I've, I've tried to take advantage of that extra time and like give it to myself. So I've been going on these long bike rides. I've been raising money for the T-PAN network that helps families that are affected by HIV. And I pledged to ride 250 miles on my bike before September 1st. Wow. I was able to knock that out in three weeks. You did it all? all yeah. I, I finished it uh, the Tuesday before the colonoscopy. I did. I actually did 20 miles this morning, but I did 250 miles and I raised all the money that, that I was looking to raise plus some. Wow. So congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. But 
I don't know if I ever would have, if I was still going into the studio, I don't know if I would have been as aggressive with that because you're worried about, well, I need to get home. I need to take a shower. I need to get downtown, like all of that stuff where now the, the office is one minute away. It's, it's downstairs and I can get everything I need to get ready for a show and, and do it. Now, again, it is a super privileged position to be in, to be able to do that. And I, I know that I'm lucky in that regard, but I've had fun learning how to navigate this kind of new way of doing things. And honestly, I think in our industry, it's something that, that the big bosses need to keep in mind. Do we really need a giant physical plant mm -hmm. for the stuff that we do in broadcasting? Like clearly people need studios to, to produce television shows and whatnot, but I'm not sure that we need the real estate that we've all staked out for ourselves, like downtown real estate. Do we really need it? I'm not sure that we do. I have to agree with you there. And maybe if, you know, I feel like television and radio salaries have been cutting back over the last couple of years because of the way that the industry has been moving. And now that everyone's working from home, I say get rid of the real estate and pay us all more. Yeah. I mean, that's never, they're never going to reinvest it in the people. They're going to put it <laughs> in their pockets. But yes, ideally, you're right. Ideally, what would happen is, is you would understand and when your leases are up in these, these very expensive downtown studios that you would then go back to to a place that's a little simpler and then pass that savings along to the people that work there it's it's a dream but i think it's a really good dream to to have and i i don't think that it's a a terrible way of doing business i think it's a great way to approach saving money and paying people more yeah, not cutting some of your veterans for less experienced people to pay them less. But NBC Sports just got a whole new studio, so I don't see that happening yeah. anytime soon. We did. Now, I will say this. In the case of NBC Sports Chicago, we kind of needed a new studio. <laughs> because the it, was, it wasn't a safe, like it wasn't an OSHA violation or anything like that. But the, those studios were pretty old and they needed to be updated. I'm excited about that. And, and I'm excited at least for radio is a different animal. Television, the amount of people that need to be there to actually put a television show together. I understand why you need to upgrade those facilities, especially as the industry itself becomes a little bit more digital. Uh -huh. You've got to make changes. Our new place looks pretty sweet though. I'm not going to lie. I haven't been in it yet, but I've taken the virtual tour. And I'm very excited. So this is something I definitely wanted to get your take on because you host the Bears pre and post game show on NBC Sports. And now sports are back, finally. So I wanted to get your hot take on this um, because as of our taping today, the NFLPA and the NFL seem to have yet come to an agreement in terms of protocol for the season. Break down for me what you know and your thoughts on it. Well, I can tell you this from people that I've talked to around the NFL, and I know that you have a lot of NFL sources too from all the places that you've been. The thing that I keep hearing from people is some version of this. How are we going to run practices? How are we going to run practices for the offensive and defensive linemen? 
it's one thing to have Tom Brady throwing passes to receivers or Mitchell Trubisky throwing passes to receivers. That's easy. That's actually socially distant to do that. You can do that without having any real contact with the other person. When it comes to offensive and defensive line plays, mm-hmm. it's collisions. It's multiple collisions on every snap of the ball. How do you go about protecting yourself? And I haven't seen – I've seen a couple, like, renderings of, well, we'll put a mask inside of the face mask, and that'll work until you start thinking about – I wear a mask when I ride a bike and mm-hmm. I wear glasses. Fogs up like that. So now imagine being a football player and dealing with that as a 300-pound man is getting ready to hit you. Mm-hmm. I, I'm – concerned that the nfl is not going to start on time um and i don't think that it's a bad thing i i think that they need to figure it out i will say though they seem to waste the hell of a lot of time when we go back to april and the nfl draft the nfl draft saw 60 million viewers it had great numbers because everyone was in their house and everyone just wanted their football whenever they could get it They had until then, from then until now, to figure out how to make this work. And now we're a couple of days away from training camps open, and they don't even have an agreement on how practices are going to be handled, how we're going to deal with COVID protocols, like none of this stuff. I feel like they they patted themselves on the back, and they thought by July, everything will be fine, Mm -hmm. and we'll just go on with business as usual. Now, I think they're going to slug through it because that's what the NFL does. They just go. But I understand all these players' concerns, and I support them asking some really tough questions of Roger Goodell and the owners about whether or not um, this is something that they should undertake. Does the NBA give you hope that they might be able to smooth this over? Because that's also a contact sport and seems to be going well in the first week. Well, well, wait, there's a difference. NBA is contact. NFL is collision. And so, so there's a difference there. The other difference is they've put everyone in a pod. I'm more, I'm more, when they first brought this up, I was like, ah, there's no way. Like, this can't work. And I still have some concerns, but I think that's an easier thing to control the better comp for the NFL is Major League Baseball, and it's not perfect, but it's better. And the reason why is these baseball teams are not in a bubble. They've done everything they can to change the way that they travel, so it's only going to be kind of regional. But players are going home at the end of the day. They're going home to their wives and their families. That's closer to what the NFL is asking to do outside of the actual practices. So for me, I think if you look at the success of the basketball tournament, the TBT, Mm -hmm. they were in a bubble for 14 days. And by the end of it, they had no positive Corona test. That means that people were disciplined. The NBA is asking their players to be there for forever. If you win the NBA championship this year, you're there until October it's a long time to not be with your family. Right. It's a long time to be disciplined. And I have concerns on whether or not any of us, and not just, I don't want to seem like I'm picking on 
20 year olds, but I don't know if any of us can, could be that disciplined for that long. Maybe the reward of winning a championship in millions of dollars helps in that regard, but I have concerns. So to me, when they canceled the hall of fame game for the NFL, I was like, Hmm, that's interesting, but everyone hates the hall of fame game. So no one really batted an eye when they did it. And then they were like, well, why don't we get rid of the first two preseason games? And everyone was like, oh, that's interesting, but no one likes the preseason, so fine. Then it was, well, we'll play one preseason game. And then the players were like, well, we need about – it's in their contract. We need 48 days to get ready for a season, and we don't want to spend it playing one of these games without these protocols being in place. So now there's no longer a preseason at all. So I, a lot of coaches will tell you the only way to get ready to play football is to play football. I've got questions on how all of this stuff works, and I'm not encouraged by the lack of transparency and urgency that the NFL has, has showed over the, shown over the last couple of weeks. Uh, back to your point earlier about how the NFL is trying to follow a similar format to Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball had an exhibition game. The Cubs played the Sox here in Chicago. Now, the Bears, as far as lack of a preseason, what are the Bears missing outside of the quarterback competition? What are they going to miss with no preseason games? Here's the thing, though. That quarterback thing is huge. Yeah. You brought you brought in Nick Foles to, to have a competition, and they were super excited about their competition. We're going to give Mitchell Trubisky reps, and we're going to give Nick Foles reps. The Bears love a good competition. They love to say a good, that they're having yeah. a good competition. I don't know if they actually love a competition. <laughs> I, think that, I think that Mitch is going to be the quarterback this year. Because how do you start the season – with a guy who I don't even know if Foles is even here yet. Because throughout the, the what would have been the mini camp time, he was still in Florida. Mm-hmm. And I think his wife might be pregnant, and that's part of it. I don't know how you just say, hey, the new guy's here. He's the quarterback. We don't have any games. And the old guy still knows the playbook. We'll see. But outside of that, my concern is, Offensive and defensive line play, more so offensive line play, because it's so cohesive. Guys need to they they're standing next to each other. They need to work together. And to not really be able to do that is difficult. I think the defensive line, go get the quarterback. Yes, you have to work as a unit, but a lot of it is one-on-one stuff, and they they should be able to adjust. I worry about the rookies. They still haven't had an NFL practice yet. You've got guys that have been drafted since April. Some of them have barely been to the facilities that they're going to play at. And you know, like, there's a difference in college speed versus NFL speed. Mm-hmm. And they're going to they're gonna see that happen in September if, if they're – I feel like it's probably closer to October, but um, they're going to see that happen, and it's going to be an adjustment for them. You can also, at, to your point about rookies – you know, some of these guys get so much hype around them coming into a team and there's dozens of blogs about how they're the next best thing. And then they're a complete dud. Um, so what's your take on how that's going to play out this season? Do you think the bears will be any good? 
I'm. They made some improvements. Like I, I enjoyed them adding Robert Quinn. I think the quarterback thing is interesting. Jalen Johnson, the second round pick. He, he and Cole Komet, I think, are exciting players to add to this. I have concerns, and they're the same concerns I had at the end of last season. I don't know if anything that they they did makes me feel 100% comfortable with where they stand offensively. Is Matt Nagy, is he part of the solution or is he part of the problem? And there were times last year I'm like, he's too smart by half. He, he, he does stuff in games where you go, it was third and one. Did you really need to do a, a, a end around with a wide receiver? Or could you have just handed the ball off to get that yard and fall forward and get one or two yards and move the chains? It, it's that lack of belief that he will make the right call in some of those situations that still gives me some pause. I think the division, if on paper, the Packers and the Vikings are better and Detroit's probably even with the Bears if Matthew Stafford is healthy. But none of this matters if we could say all of this right now and week one, they're starting a third string or quarterback or quarterback off the street because Mitch and Foles have COVID. So, I mean, yeah. it's, it's hard to even – there's only one team, two teams that I feel – super good about going into 2020 Kansas City and Baltimore those are the two teams I feel like they're going to be what they were last year everything else is roll the dice as far as I'm concerned I have to agree and I also think it'll be uh especially with teams that have outdoor stadiums and can't necessarily pump in that crowd noise it'll be interesting to see how the players adjust I know in New Orleans in the Superdome that 12th man wins them the games so Without Bears fans, they're heckling you for some Wisconsin <laughs> cheddar cheese and pretzels. I don't know what the season looks like for them. No, um, and you're right. You're right about the Superdome. Like that place is uh, a weapon. Like it is. <laughs> it is hard to hear. I think they have the best pregame music in the NFL. Like they, that place rocks. Like it is. If if you've never been to a game there, it it can be hard to think. So imagine what that's like for an opposing offense to communicate with each other. It's a, it's a clear home field advantage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. I feel like Sean Payton might get up to some of his uh, usual stunts on the sideline there, but um, yeah, I'm curious to see how the season's going to play out. I could talk about this for hours and hours, but the purpose of this podcast is to get to know you, the guest a little bit better because you're somebody who shares your life with all of Chicago and anybody who listens to your podcast and follows you on social. So tell me about yourself. Do you come here often? Um, no, I don't No, I mean, I, <laughs> we haven't talked in a while. I'm glad that we are, though. I'm glad that you're doing well, and I'm glad that you're you're doing a podcast. Thanks. I People really don't even know that we like work together for like a like a week. I know. Whenever someone asked me recently, "Do you know Lawrence Holmes?" I'm like, "Yes." Green tested assigned him. He got the job. I did <laughs> not get the job. They just, you know, hired another blonde that looked just like me. <laughs> no big deal. Co-host for a week. It's true. It's true, though, but I enjoyed that week that we were working together. It was good. You know what? Let's put Joe Riley on blast right now for not hiring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Joe Riley. You should have hired the clue theory. <laughs> exactly. Hey, what's wrong with you? 
This could have worked out. This could have been the team right here. All along, we could have carried this all the way through. But you know what? He did end up hiring me to do um, sideline games for them in 2000. All right. Then we don't hate him too much. No, he's actually my colleague now. He's teaching classes at DePaul. So when I'm not doing the radio show or the TV show, I'm uh, what I like to call a scholar practitioner, what some people call an adjunct professor Mm -hmm. at my alma mater, DePaul University. So that's something I want to get into a conversation with you about because you've had a really interesting career. How did you get started and what do you tell your students who want to get their foot in the door? Well, I started out in high school uh, and I went to a high school, Homer Flossmore High School, that continues to produce broadcasters. Like I love doing the list because the list is really impressive. Chuck Garfine, Ben Bradley, Jason Benetti, who's the, the voice of the White Sox, it, it goes on and on. Amanda Kashubi, who's the, the sports editor for the Chicago Tribune. Paul Sullivan, who's been a writer at the Tribune for forever. We keep Tyra Martin, who's an executive producer at Channel 9. Like, we have this, like, army of people that came out of this program. So I grew up on the South Side, and then we moved to Homewood when I was 14, specifically for me to go to HF. And that's where I got involved in radio and television. And I just kind of loved it. So I took that and went to college and got internships. And I already knew a lot of stuff. I was advanced because we had a working radio station at my high school. I knew how to run a board. I knew how to operate a camera, like all of that stuff. So it, it put me in a position where at 19, I was an intern on a radio show called The Sports Huddle here in Chicago. And the executive producer of the show quit and they were like, Hey, do you think that you could run the show? And you know, you know how it is. The answer to that question is always, yes, I'll figure it out. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take the, the opportunity and I'll figure it out as we go. So I had my first like paying gig. My first paying gig was in market three at 19 years old. Wow. And I've never left. And that's pretty special. Like, I'm really happy that I didn't, I didn't have to leave to, to live out my dream. But I also wonder, like, what, what, it, what would it have been like to go and live someplace else? And what type of perspective does that offer you? Like, the place that you were at. Like, I, I love New Orleans. Like, love that place. Mm-hmm. What would it have been like if I had said at 25, I'm going to go live in New Orleans and do sports there for a while. But I got to the score in 1998 and I've been there ever since. And that's offered me opportunities to go work in television. I covered the bears as a beat reporter from 2003 until 2010. And I loved that. I loved traveling and covering the NFL. That was a lot of fun. I've seen, I've actually been working in the business in Chicago when every team here has won a championship. Wow. I was working at Channel 9 in 97 and 98 for the Bulls. And then I've been at the score or at NBC Sports Chicago to watch the Blackhawks, the White Sox, the Cubs, uh, and the, well, not the Bears. I I was going to say. But I did go, but I did cover a Bears Super Bowl, which was dope 
because I got to see Prince perform twice <laughs> in 48 hours. I remember that Super Bowl. I was in high school at Walter Payton. My question for you is, do you prefer television or radio? Because you do both. People ask me about this a lot. I Radio is still home base for me. And the reason that it is, is that it's a more intimate form of media. I'm with that person every day, noon to two. I'm with them in their car. I'm, I might be the only person that's talking to them. For, for that amount of time. It's an intimate art form, and I will say that it's morphed. I enjoy doing podcast stuff, too. So, I mean, to think about it, there wasn't really, this version of the medium wasn't even available really 10 years ago. And now I found that it's a way that I can express myself in, and, and, that's similar, but not the same to radio. I enjoy TV because of the people that I do TV with. And I didn't always enjoy it. Like I spent four years being a news anchor, a sports anchor at channel five mm -hmm. and it was fine, but it didn't, it didn't do anything for me. Like it was just kind of like, well, you do sports and now you do sports on television. I wasn't even really doing sports the way that I wanted to do it on television. And now I am the, the show that I do on Sundays after the games, it's the most fun that I've ever had doing television. And it's, it's not even close. It's not even close. I work with incredible analysts who make it fun watching the games with people like Alex Brown and Olin Krutz, Matt Forte and Lance Briggs. It is like going to graduate school. And what I, what I learn about those guys and what I love about watching games with them is I feel like I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty well-read football person. If I'm sitting down talking football with a fan, I know a lot about the game. I can tell you things that I think are going to happen and why those things are going to happen. And, and if, when it comes to a review of a game, if you sit me down and say, Lawrence, I want you to watch this game and tell me where the game broke, I can tell you and I can tell you what happened. What I love about the guys that I work with, they're doing it in real time. It's amazing to me. It's, it's like they're virtuosos when it comes to football. So it's a play where if you give me a replay, I can go, oh, okay, that guy missed his block. He missed his block because this happened. Those guys are saying it as the play happens. They know that the play is blown up from the moment that the ball is snapped. And that type of intuitive knowledge of the game is so important. And on top of that, they're a hell of a lot of fun. And, and because... I get to, the joke. So here's the running joke. I don't know how much you're into comic books. Like I'm really into like comic books and geeky stuff. So there's this character named uh, Mr. Coulson who is in charge of shield for Marvel. And he's kind of, he kind of helped put the Avengers together, but he doesn't have any powers. So that's what they call me. 
Like I'm <laughs> Phil Coulson and they're the Avengers. So I get to be Phil Coulson and, and hang out with them. And it's cool. And I, they, they allow me to lead the show and they gaining their trust is a big deal. So the fact that they know that I'm, I'm going to make sure that we all look good is important. It's an important part of being a good teammate on the air. And they teach me so much every week that it's just, I'm blown away by it. So I have a lot of fun doing that on television and it's different from, I mean, you know, yeah. here's, here's four minutes to do yeah. your sports cast. Oh, but wait, you've got to cut one of your stories because there's a weather thing that's going on. If and there's they, any kind of weather, there's no sports that day. Right. And, and now, now your four minute news sports cast is now two and a half minutes. Yeah. And you know what? We're probably not going to have time for that last video. Like that was stressful to mm -hmm. work for six hours to put together four minutes that doesn't even make the air with this thing. We know that we have a captive audience. We know that bears fans are crazy about their team and they want to know what our guys think about it. Mm -hmm. It's, it's um, my boss over there. I got to give him a lot of credit too. Kevin cross. When he hired me, he said, I want you to do on television, what you do on the radio, just put that. on a suit. And I was like, cool. And they've stuck by that. I get a lot of latitude and it's paid off. Well, I think it makes it more conversational too. You get to show your personality. You get to welcome the viewers into your home. And I agree with you that the format of three minutes of sports a night is super stressful and you don't actually get to show the character of the guys that you're doing these, working on these stories on all day. So I love yep. that you're happy in what you're doing and shout out to Kevin Cross because I met with him when I was 22 and he told me the best thing for my career would be to go to a smaller market, which is what led me to apply for New Orleans. And here we are. Um, yep. Was there ever a moment in your professional or personal life that you knew that you weren't being authentic to yourself and what did you learn from it? Hmm. Ooh, that is uh that is a deep cut question right there. The whole point of this podcast, baby. I think that one thing that happened professionally for me anyway was I don't really have a partner. I do my show solo. And for a long time, like that was people like knocked me for it. Like you know, you're, you must be difficult to deal with or whatever. And there were people that I've wanted to partner with and they've done other stuff. And there was one particular partner. I was like, man, this is, we're going to be partners for 20 years and it's going to be great. But that person went on to do other things and they're doing great things outside of it. Once I learned to accept that it was okay for me to charge ahead by myself. I became a happier radio personality when I stopped looking for a partner and realized, you know what you're doing. You can do a radio show by yourself. And if a partner comes along at some point and it makes sense for you to team up, great. But if not, you have your team, you have your squad of, of your production staff. They can help you to, to make 
the show that you've always wanted to have. So I, I think that learning to get past the idea of, well, sports radio is this guy says this thing and this guy says this thing. And then we put them together in a room. I can be both guys. I can actually tell you a couple of different vantage points on a particular story. And I don't necessarily need to, to have a partner to do it. Accepting that is difficult. And it was for me. But once I did accept it, I felt like I, my career went to a different place once I got comfortable with that. So that would be probably the best example. I love that. It sounds like what you're really saying is that once you learn to trust in yourself and your own abilities to go off solo is when you really took off. And that is exactly the tea I'm trying to get on this podcast because I hope our my listeners believe in themselves and learn that anything is possible if they just take those risks. At the end of every episode, I love to play a little game called Two Truths and a Lie, where you tell me two truths about yourself and one lie, and I have to guess Ooh. what the lie is. Ooh, two truths and a lie. Okay, I got scouted to play Major League Baseball. I grew up as a huge fan of Jim McMahon. And I only applied to DePaul University. That was the only school that I applied to when I went to college. I'm going to go with the lie is that you grew up as a huge fan of Jim McMahon. Incorrect. Which one is it? I, I applied to way more schools than DePaul. How it many? Literally my last choice. Wow. And now I can't imagine my life having not gone there. I, yeah. I think I applied to like 10 different schools. I, I joked with Theo Epstein that I got accepted into Yale on a dare. Like my father, we had talked with the people at Yale during like one of those college things at your high school. And my father was like, you should apply. And I was like, there's no way. He's like, just apply. He's like, if you apply and get in, you pay for the application. If you apply and, and don't get in, I'll pay for it. I was like, okay. And then I got in. And I joked with Theo that I would have been working for Theo Epstein at the newspaper at Yale for him if I would have gone to Yale. How crazy is that? Why'd you choose DePaul over Yale? I didn't. I'm, I'm not kidding. DePaul was my last choice. Like, I couldn't afford – we couldn't afford Yale. We, we couldn't afford uh, the University of Michigan. Um, and then I was going to go to the University of Illinois, but I went down there for orientations, and I was like, nope, I cannot – I'm a city kid, and I cannot deal with these South Farms, man. That's the how smell I felt coming out of, It's not for me. <laughs> so, so I ended up at DePaul. I mean, literally – a week before classes started, I was like, there's everywhere else it started already. There was no fairy godmother that was going to drop out of the sky and give me money to go to the University of Michigan, which was my first choice. So I ended up at DePaul. And now that experience is now I'm back there teaching because I love it so much. Like, I, I love that place so much. And I love what it did for me. It 
allowed me through the internship program to stay here in Chicago mm-hmm. and work say, on my craft. Cool. Like yeah. that's huge. Like yeah. to be able to do that is, is huge. And so I feel a debt and I, I, I feel like I'm paying that debt back with the, the next generation of students. I love so that. It's always, it's always easy to connect the dots looking backwards. You can never do it looking forward. So at the time you're like, man, this is my last choice. But now that decision led you to being an executive producer at the age of 19 in market three. Correct. So, and I don't know if that would have happened, you know, if I, if I'd have been in Ann Arbor living the life. They say that the universe has your back. And I tend to believe that I think everything happens for a reason. It's all aligned for your higher purpose. And that purpose does not become clear until after you've just made it through. Yeah. Thank you, Lawrence. Powerful stuff. I've loved talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on my show. I know you're a busy man. Oh, anytime for you. I mean, if, if, if you called, I wanted to be here available for you. So whatever you need, if you ever want to chat again, I'm around. Sounds good. I'm going to send a clip of this to Joe Riley and just let him know what he missed out on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can have 45 minutes of gold like this, Joe yeah. Riley. <laughs> How you like me now? <laughs> yeah. This could have been the show right here. <laughs> Thank you so much. It was great talking to you and I hope you have a great week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Moment of Cluth podcast, now available anywhere you listen to your podcasts. I'm your host, Megan Cluth. If you enjoyed this episode, please download it and share it with others. Subscribe to be notified when a new episode airs, visit megancluth.com to get in touch, and head over to my YouTube page to watch my latest interviews and stay tuned for more great conversations. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.